Good morning. Welcome. So glad you can be a part of this online service. I'm excited about our present study series, The Mind Matters. The Bible exhorts us very clearly to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Sometimes we hear those statements and say, easier said than done. But nonetheless, the irrefutable, uh, non-negotiable truth represents the focus of the Christian having his or her mind truly set upon Jesus and not on the things that are on this world. I love that statement from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Seth Davidovich is a former research scientist with Google. Uh, He's authored a book entitled Everybody Lies. And inside this book, research is revealed from from his analytic skills concerning a huge uh, incongruency in our culture. He comments that the, the number of Google searches and the type of Google searches that his analytic skills has discovered does not match many of the larger surveys that have been nationally applied to our culture. In other words, what people say on surveys is totally contradictory to what we as a culture actually search on the Internet. This points to a very clear piece of our human nature, and that is our thoughts. And where our thoughts are directed can never really be trusted. This is why God's word said in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart above all things is deceitful and wicked. The idea of heart in the Hebrew language actually expresses the mind. And so we hear God's word saying the mind, the, the mind, the will, the emotions, the true inner soul of a man left to itself can't be trusted. We, we say we believe or commit to one thing and our minds are directed elsewhere. And so we have this opportunity today to hear from God's word on how to have the right mind. I'm not sure if your parents have ever asked you, are, are you in your right mind? And sometimes we actually are not in the right frame of mind because our thoughts are led to places and to responses that can become very dangerous and very destructive. The right mind, above all other considerations, is conclusively founded in the mind of Christ. Now, this is what I love about God's word. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, our focus text for the day, that we can have the mind of Christ. So let's begin this discussion here. The Bible actually asks some very clear and real Questions In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, the Bible has asked, Who can direct the Spirit of the Lord and who can give Him counsel? In Romans chapter 11, verse 34, the New Testament asks the same question as we've just heard from the Old Testament, as that verse in Romans asks, Who can counsel the mind of our Lord? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, 
we hear this verse reflected. It's as if the verse from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, poses the question, who can actually know the mind of the Lord? Who can actually comprehend or fathom the depth of, of His mind and His wisdom, the breadth of His sovereignty? Who can capture this? Well, the rhetorical question deserves the strong implied answer, no one. No one can know the mind of the Lord to instruct Him. But then look at the amazing conclusion of this one verse. But we have the mind of Christ. So today... We consider that the only way to have the right mind becomes expressed in this verse, to have the mind of Christ. We can have His mind. Now this becomes such an overwhelming prospect because I assure you there are times that my thoughts are nowhere close to what the mind of Christ becomes revealed like in the Scriptures. There are times when, and I'm sure you would agree, when our thoughts and our minds are not conditioned by what is right and pure and true, but conditioned by what is wrong and dark and impure, by the things of this world. So how is it, one may ask, that we could have the mind of Christ? Uh, well, let's discover from God's Word how we can consider that our mind truly matters, our thoughts matter and proven uh, in this verse comes that truth. Our, our mind becomes so important. God has made this fact absolutely clear that you can have the mind of Christ. In fact, the emphasis of this verse proclaims that if your faith is in Jesus, if you have trusted Jesus, you do have the mind of Christ. The purpose of the question, who can instruct the Lord, uh, re reflects the implied answer we all need to hear. You have the mind of Christ. You can't comprehend God, nor would you dare instruct Him or, or counsel His Spirit, but you can have the mind of Christ. The revolutionary truth of Christianity is this. Christ died for us to live within us. Our lives are meant to be in union with Him so we can have His mind. We can have His perspective. We can see His plan and know His purpose. All believers possess this. The revolutionary truth of the Christian faith. Christ died for us through His Holy Spirit to live in us so that we can be in union with Him and have His mind so that our minds are actually focused upon His purpose, His person, His plan, and His promises. We can have the mind of Christ. So I'd like to join you in looking deep into this one verse and this passage to discover two very necessary steps to take so that we might move closer to the mind of Christ. First, we need to become more fully aware of His mind. Second, uh, we need to intentionally apply His mind into our lives. We, we need to, to resolve that we would do whatever it takes to make certain that our lives are conditioned by the mind of Christ. But first, we need to become more fully aware of His mind. And we can do this in three ways. When, when we look inside of this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.16, that reminds us we, we have the mind of Christ if we are in union with Him, if, if by faith we have a relationship with Him. 
And because of this, there are, there are powerful truths that should already be settled in our lives and in our hearts. I'd like to give you three ways that we can better know and become more fully aware of the mind of Christ that should be, at this very moment, conditioning our minds as followers of Jesus. First, to have the mind of Christ indicates that we embrace God's plan in this world. Simply put, to have the mind of Christ indicates that we embrace God's plan in this world. Jesus knew God's plan from the very beginning and ordered every part of his life and his words and his thoughts and his actions according to the plan of the Father. Now, obviously, Jesus was God's son, fully God in the flesh. But one of Jesus' favorite references of himself, in fact, the most favorite reference Jesus made of himself was that he was the son of man, meaning that as God, he came to identify with man. He became one of us. But as he became one of us, his entire life was lived in response to the plan of God. If you and I are to have the mind of Christ, we must first embrace God's plan in this world. Now, according to how we discover the words of Christ throughout the Gospels, there are two ways to conclude that Jesus knew fully the plan of God. He embraced God's plan for this world. Make certain that, that you do not forget God is creator and, and redeemer, meaning that he sent Jesus to redeem us. Biblical monotheism makes room for God to be both creator and redeemer. A monotheistic view means that we believe there's one God and there is only one God. But our one God created us and then sent Jesus to redeem us. He's creator and redeemer. And so when we look at this fullness of God's nature, we understand God's plan in this broken, sin-driven world. And so if we're to have the mind of Christ, we need to first embrace God's plan in this world, his plan for the brokenness of this world. And that plan can be seen twofold. First, I refer to John chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus said, hey, ask of me what you will and it will be done for you so that the father may be glorified in the son. I love this verse, which gives us the first expression of God's plan in the world. God's plan in the world is to bring glory to himself. And all throughout the life of Jesus, every word and motivation that our Savior made as Son of Man pointed all glory to the Father, to God. And so God's plan in this world is to bring glory to Himself, to magnify His name. This has been proven all throughout the scriptures, God's purpose was to bring glory to his name during creation. That's proven in Psalm 19, verse 1. All of creation gives the glory of the Lord. God also desired his glory to be seen even when he created man. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, we read, Everyone who is called by my name is created for my glory. Even the redemption of a sinner points to the full glory of God. Psalm 25, verse 11. For your name's sake, God, you have pardoned my guilt. All of God's acts point to his glory. In Ezekiel 20, verse 9, we read, God, for your name's sake and, and God, for, for your glory, you have acted 
for the sake of your name. But I love it in Psalm 106 verse 8. Even biblical history points to the glory of God. For we read, he saved his own people because of his great name. His name referencing his character, the fullness of his nature and his glory. All throughout history, the the incredible and resounding fact cried out, all glory to the Father. And then Jesus mirrored this in his life when he said on that occasion, ask what you will and and it will be done for you so that the Father is glorified. Not the Son, not the church, not man, but that God becomes glorified. And this was the heartbeat of the ministry and mission of Jesus in his, in his over three years of ministry here on this earth. And so for us to have the mind of Christ is to first to embrace God's plan in the world. And the first part of God's plan is that God in this world is bringing glory to himself. But here's the second piece of that plan. God's plan in the world is to restore man to himself. First, God's plan is to bring glory to himself. Second, God's plan is to restore man to himself. I once heard someone say that God created Adam and Eve because he needed companionship. False. That is not correct. God is perfect in his nature. God created so that that creation could glorify him. But sin interrupted that relational uh, creation, uh, uh, connectedness. Sin broke that. And so secondly, God's plan in the world, second to the fact that he's He's uh, bringing all glory to himself, is that he's restoring fallen man back to himself. He's restoring what is broken back to himself. So our lives have been separated from God by sin. But through Jesus, he restores that relationship and that created relatedness. In, in uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, the scripture reads that we have been saved according to his great mercy. I, I love that even in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, creation will be free from its slavery to decay and given into the freedom of the glory that will come with the children of God through our complete redemption. So in, you know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, we are told that, that all of creation groans and longs for that redemption. So God restoring man back to himself involves a redemption of man from our sin, but includes all things being made new. Revelation 21 verse 5, Behold, the one who sits on the throne has made all things new. And so God's plan in the world involves bringing glory to his name and bringing and restoring all that is broken back to himself. This is God's plan in the world. And Jesus knew this. And if you and I are to have the mind of Christ, we must embrace God's plan in the world. In Matthew 16, verse 21, I love this. To just consider that you were sitting there when Jesus brought his disciples together. And that verse actually says, Jesus showed them that he must be arrested, he must be killed, but that he would he would be raised again. Oh, that classic passage references when Peter said, No, Lord, may it never be. And then Jesus said of Peter, Satan, get behind me. Indicating that Jesus knew this was God's will to restore all things to himself. And so the scripture says in Matthew 16, 21, that Jesus showed them that he must die, and but he would, he would be raised again. I, I consider this verse because... One might think that Jesus simply told them. But no, the word actually indicates that Jesus graphically painted with a picture the details of his arrest, death, 
and resurrection. Because the word used there is that Jesus showed them. He displayed with, with, with detail what would happen so that all things would be restored back to the Father. So yes, if we're to have the mind of Christ, this indicates that we need to embrace God's plan in the world. He brings glory to His name and He restores all things that are broken back to Himself. That summarizes and fulfills the plan of God in this world. So to become fully aware of the mind of Christ, we need to have this embrace of the world, of God's plan in the world. We need to embrace that this is what God is doing. Jesus embraced that. He modeled that consideration and that commitment. And so our lives need to build upon those two facts. All glory to the Father and all things broken Restored to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we know that there'll be some who will, who will deny that draw of that grace, but, but God has done all that is necessary to restore all things broken back to Himself. So this is one way that we can certainly become more fully aware of the mind of Christ by looking at God's plan in the world. And there's a second way that we can more fully become aware of of the mind of Christ. Second, to have the mind of Christ indicates that we identify with Jesus and his purpose to seek and to save that which is lost. In, in Luke 19, verse 10, you might recognize that chapter in that passage as a reference to the narrative of Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? We little man climbed a tree. The song is coming. And then, yes. But within this story, this incredible statement is made, Luke 19, verse 10, when we are told that Jesus came to save all that is lost. If we're to have the mind of Christ, then we must identify with Jesus' purpose to seek and to save all that is lost. Now, from that story of Zacchaeus, I love that in verse 9 of Luke 19, Jesus said, Zacchaeus is now a son of Abraham. Can you imagine the response of that Jewish culture and, and Hebrew context that someone like Zacchaeus, despised, rejected, seen as a chief of sinners, would be called by Jesus a son of Abraham. But when, when Zacchaeus, in his heart, repented and desired to return uh, over what he owed others, Jesus said, oh, he is... He is the son of Abraham. His faith and his, his turning from darkness to the light that Jesus exposed became that revelation that he is now a son of Abraham. Also, I love that this phrase, this statement, this truth, Jesus came to save that which is lost, brings together what man's mind has separated, wherein God honors those who are religious and despises those who are not. No, absolutely not. That is false. That is wrong. That is heretical, but many in Jesus' day thought this. The more religious are favored by God and those who are not are, are rejected by God. Jesus said, no, even Zacchaeus, because of his faith in the Son, is, is a son of Abraham, meaning that he truly knows the Father. And so if we are to become fully aware of the mind of Christ, second, to have the mind of Christ, uh, we must identify with Jesus' purpose to seek and to save that which is lost. Our own hearts must yearn for the gospel to be preached and for others to hear the gospel. Our own hearts must exemplify in word and in deed the message of Jesus and that he comes to redeem and save. Our own hearts and minds must look past barriers we prop up that would indicate someone needs to earn their way to God or look somewhat 
like a religious adherent so that they might fit into the family of God. No, all of that is false. We know this. It's by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves, but the gift of God. And so if we're to have the mind of Christ, uh, we need to identify with Jesus' purpose to seek and to save what is lost. And then there's a final way that we can become more fully aware of the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ, and this becomes a bit more personal, indicates that we share Jesus' perspective of obedience to God. And this becomes very important. Again, what we're discovering all throughout the Gospels, which gives strength to 1 Corinthians 2.16, you can have the mind of Christ, is to understand what we need to do in order to fully know the, the mind of Christ. How can we better know His mind? There are many who would say, hey, I know Jesus, I, I've heard of Him, I, I believe in Him, but, but we need to fully understand the mind of Christ the essence of who he is so that our minds can certainly respond to the truths of Christ. And so a, a third way that we can more fully aware, become more fully aware of the mind of Christ is, is referenced here. To have the mind of Christ indicates that we share Jesus' perspective of obedience to God. I'll give you three examples of this. First, in Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, uh, this is what we read. He, he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death. Jesus took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and became obedient. So first, how does Jesus mirror and, and demonstrate humility and obedience? He did this through the cross. If we're to share Jesus' perspective of obedience to the Father, we must consider how we approach God and others with humility and with obedience to the Father. So how do we share Jesus' perspective? First, in humility and obedience. As he emptied himself to follow the will of the Father, so we must empty ourselves and humble ourselves before God and before others so that we might also follow the will of the Father. Second, there's some consideration given to his compassion. How is Jesus obedient to the Father and how can we follow and, and identify with that perspective? All throughout the Gospels, obviously, we read of how Jesus in his own heart and in his own thoughts were, was moved to compassion. Matthew 9.36 is one example where Jesus saw the crowd and he saw them abused as sheep without a shepherd. And, and he was moved with compassion. Many of us have heard the uh, transliteration of that word for compassion, meaning a deep, visceral stirring in the gut. And so Jesus mirrored perfectly compassion. If we're to have the mind of Christ... We must also resolve that same heart of compassion, not emulating out of some superficial activity, but truly having the mind of Christ by, by asking God to create within us this compassion for others, especially those who do not know the joy of following Jesus. And so how can we better be aware of the mind of Christ? By, by uh, sharing in the perspective of a Obedience to God that Jesus gave us in his ministry. The first, humility and obedience. The second, compassion. But third, consider the prayerful and relational obedience to God. This again gives a fundamental picture of the mind of Christ, how Jesus lived and how Jesus ministered in his years on this earth. There was a relational, prayerful dependence 
upon the Father. Jesus often, as Luke 5, 16 reminds us, removed himself to private places. In fact, the scripture says that Jesus went to a private place and the word could actually be described as lonely. Jesus went to a lonely place where there was no other influence except being in God's presence. And there he became utterly dependent upon the Father and in prayer prostrated his heart before God. And this becomes an amazing example for how we must have the mind of Christ in our relational and prayerful dependence on God. So yes, we can have the mind of Christ when we share the perspectives Jesus had of his own obedience to the Father, humility and obedience, compassion, and then a prayerful and relational dependence upon God. Oh, I pray that you are sensing right now this incredible, this incredible need to, to say, yes, I, I desire the mind of Christ and I, I'm becoming more fully aware of his mind so that I can make the adjustments and so that I can certainly live in the right mind with the mind of Christ. And so we now move from that first observation. How can we more fully become aware of the mind of Christ uh, to the second observation, how we can intentionally apply his mind into our life. And for this, we return back to first Corinthians two. And I just want to share with you high points of that chapter that lead up to verse 16, where we read, you can have the mind of Christ. If you were to look at this entire passage in detail, you would see in verses four through six, one way in which we really need to intentionally apply his mind into our life and that is truly through this picture of contrast. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 6, we are told that we cannot lean upon persuasive words, uh, man's wisdom. We can't even lean upon the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Now, the author here references the Apostle Paul. Uh, many say he came into Corinth from Athens. He had been on the uh, uh, Areopagus hill uh, speaking with the Stoics uh, some days, maybe weeks before. And he came into Corinth and he had been saturated with the Stoicism and the wisdom of man. And I love that here Paul writes, I'm not coming to you with persuasive speech. I'm not coming to you with the wisdom of man. I'm not coming to you with the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Paul emphasizes that the mind of Christ that we are discovering at the end of this chapter actually stands in direct contrast to the persuasive words of man, the wisdom of man, and the influence of the rulers of this age. For Paul, his present age and the age to come overlapped. And so Paul knew that the age to come would be the rule and reign of Christ. But this present age, there are rulers who seem to sound good and have persuasive words, yet they are in total contrast to the mind of Christ. And so if we're to intentionally apply the mind of Christ, those facts we've just looked at that helps us to better know his mind, then we must build upon the contrast. We can't say, I have the mind of Christ and I'll follow the wisdom of man. I'll have the mind of Christ. And when someone uses persuasive speech, I'll follow that as well. No, Paul said emphatically through the Holy Spirit, the, the, the pen of the apostle gave us this truth. We must build upon the contrast. The mind of Christ is in, in direct contrast, standing conversely to all the wisdom of man, persuasive words, and the influential, uh, the influential uh, reach of, this, of the rulers of this present age. 
Paul writes, no, it's not that. It's the mind of Christ. It's not the wisdom of man, persuasive words, or the rulers of this age. And so, uh, may I encourage you, if you truly desire to have the mind of Christ and to embrace all of those facts that we've looked at earlier, build upon the contrast. Be, be aware that we do not need the wisdom of man. And some would make a, a concession and say, well, man is wise. So maybe there is some wisdom there for men that, that will benefit us. Absolutely not. We do not lean on the wisdom of man. Remember, Psalm says it's foolish to follow our own thoughts when if we trust in God's thoughts, we will be kept safe. And so, oh, we need to build on the contrast. Uh, secondly, still looking at the context of 1 Corinthians 2.16, we can have the mind of Christ. Uh, beginning from verse uh, from verse 7 to verse 9, we are given just a brief picture of the reality of salvation. So secondly, how can you intentionally apply the mind of Christ into your life? Live, live by the reality of your salvation. This becomes a fundamental step in Christian faith, but perhaps one of the most difficult to remain in consistently because our flesh pulls us, our reasoning directs us, our emotions condition us. And yet, if we would live from the reality of our salvation, understanding right here from the scripture, verse 7 through 10, Paul, Paul wrote of this understanding of, of our salvation. On the contrary, we don't listen to the wisdom of man, but, but on the contrary, we, Paul said, we speak God's hidden wisdom, his mystery that, that was hidden in the ages in past, but, but has now been revealed through Jesus Christ. The mystery Paul references here, uh, becomes this beautiful expression of salvation that is for Jews and Greeks also through grace, not through the power of the law, but through grace can one be made right with God. The beautiful word in the scripture expresses salvation. And so Paul emphasized here, leading up to the truth that we can have the mind of Christ, that the reality of our salvation helps us to build on that contrast and to stay focused on what Jesus Christ has done. He has brought us to God. He has made us right. As we follow him and lean upon him and trust his spirit within us, then certainly we can more accurately have the mind of Christ. And this certainly segues us to the final step we can take to intentionally apply the mind of Christ to our own lives through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Listen to verses 10 through 14. I just want to read these verses over you this morning. Now, God has revealed them to us, what he has accomplished through Christ, by the Spirit. For the Spirit teaches everything, even the deep things of God. Only through the Holy Spirit can we know the deep things of God. This is why Paul said we can have the mind of Christ. Because through the Holy Spirit, we can know facts of our salvation. We can recognize when, when statements are made that are false, that are of man's wisdom. And this happens because of the Holy Spirit within us, revealing to us the deep things of God. Verse 11, For who among men knows the concerns of man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the concerns of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God in order to know what has been freely given to us by God. I love this anthropomorphic uh, 
reach that Paul made in his writings that God gave him, comparing God and the Holy Spirit to man and his spirit. So no one can really know you except yourself, the true self, the the soul, the spirit inside of you. And then Paul uh, stands from that simple anthropomorphic reality of, of our personhood to the highest truth. And And no one can know the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God has come to to enlighten us, to show us all the things that we've been freely given in our relationship with Jesus. Verse 13, we also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Now notice this. A natural man will never know this. Someone who has never trusted in Jesus but lives by the natural inclinations of the flesh would not know this. But the Spirit speaks to those whose hearts belong to Christ, for spiritual people will understand the things of the Spirit. Verse 15, the spiritual person, however, this is not foolish to him. He can evaluate, he can understand because of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And then... This concludes with the beautiful statement of verse 16. Who can really comprehend God, the Lord, that he would instruct him? But because of the Holy Spirit, because of our salvation, because that God has saved us from the wisdom of man and and redeemed us to himself and has given us his Holy Spirit, we can have the mind of Christ. And so today we have made these two observations. How can we more fully understand the mind of Christ? And then how can we intentionally apply his mind to our lives. I want to share this story with you that has been given by permission of the family. Dr. Warren Anderson actually told this story uh, as the family gave him permission. Listen to this story. Uh, Louis and Jeanette, a couple in their 80s, had a 55-year-old son, Louis. Their son had been severely mentally handicapped all of his life, and he was being cared for in a very fine institution. As Christian parents, Louis and Jeanette were concerned about their son's spiritual development, and and they prayed for him often. But their son could only speak on occasional short phrases with just a few isolated words at a time. So there was no way to know if he understood anything about Jesus. About the time Louis was 50 years old, an amazing thing happened. The family was together on a car ride when all of a sudden, without warning or prompting, Lewis began to speak. He said to his parents, You know, Mom, you know, Dad, Jesus was born. Jesus died to save us from our sins. And he rose again. Yes, he did. He had had never spoken in complete sentences before, and he would never speak in complete sentences again. But at this part in his life, this precious soul confessed, this is Jesus. Well, of course, his parents, Louis and Jeanette, were were greatly touched by hearing these words. And it turned out that uh, a few weeks earlier in the home that cared for Louis, someone had shared the story of Jesus. And although there were great debilitations, he heard. And God reached down and the truth of Christ became embedded in his mind and more importantly, in his heart. And Lewis confessed Jesus Christ. Understand that God can reach any heart and any mind with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never underestimate the truth of Jesus.
and the truth of Jesus should be creating within us a brand new heart and a brand new mind as we speak. It happened to Lewis. It is happening to many. Let the truth allow the beautiful message of the gospel to renew your mind. And we're told this in Romans 12, that our minds can be renewed. We're going to dig into that more in weeks to come. But know that the gospel gives you the mind of Christ if you'll but surrender your heart to Jesus. Yes, the mind is unpredictable. Our thoughts can't be trusted, but we can have the mind of Christ. We need not fall to the wisdom of man, but only to Jesus. Thank you for being a part of, of our second installment of this teaching series, The Mind Matters. 1 Corinthians 2.16 But we have the mind of Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a website location on the screen now. You just simply need to enter that in into your device, your computer, your smartphone, and, and that will bring you right to our ministry so that we can have conversation with you and talk with you more about what it means to know Jesus. If you're a Christian and, and you feel discouraged beaten up perhaps by the culture around you. Reach out to us in the same way. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. Thank you for being a part of this uh, incredible truth. We have the mind of Christ. Uh, do not lean upon your own thinking and understanding. Lean upon Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for meeting us here, teaching us your word. Guide us from this time forward as we desire to live for you and not listen to the words and wisdom of this world, but truly desire to have the mind of Christ. Thank you, God, that you did all that was necessary so that we who trust you and trust Jesus can have the mind of Jesus. We thank you for that. And it's in his powerful and sweet and precious name we pray. And together we said, amen. Thank you for being here. I've enjoyed this time with you. We'll see you for part three. But until then, reach out, stay in touch. We truly desire to minister to you. Love you a lot. God bless.